I will go. Those were the three most significant words that Rebecca ever spoke because they were given as the prompt and definitive answer regarding her willingness to go with Abraham's servant, Eliezer, as the bride-to-be of his master's son, Isaac. In less than a day's time, in less than 24 hours, she had come to the firm conviction that the call of the Lord on her life was to leave her family and to leave her home and all that was familiar to her in Mesopotamia, um, just as her granduncle Abraham had likewise done many years earlier. He had done the same thing, hadn't he? Left everything that was familiar with him, to him. Left his father's home in order to enter into the land of Canaan and become uh, of course, he, he became God's servant, and she became the wife of Abraham's son, Isaac. So there were no excuses that she gave, although there can be little doubt that Rebecca could have easily invented many reasons why she should not go with Eliezer, a man she hardly knew, to a land she had never been to before in order to marry a man she had never seen. You could come up with a lot of excuses, couldn't you, with that one? She could have asked for more time to think about the matter. She could easily have sided with her mother and her brother Laban by begging Eliezer for a delay in their departure. She could have chosen to take a poll among all of her peers to see what they would advise her to do. Uh, she could have been undecided. She could have been wishy-washy, saying, you know, I'm just not really sure what I should do. She could have complained about living as a nomad in a tent. I'm sure she had heard about Abraham and his family and how they never put down any permanent roots and were always move, moving around and how they didn't even own any land at all other than a field and a cave for a burial uh, plot. You know, there were some men who had told the Lord Jesus Christ that they wanted to follow him they had said, I will go, you know, when he invited them to follow, I will go. But they did not follow through with their desire because they allowed either their present comfort or their family relations or their, their future inheritance or their personal emotions to get in the way. And so the Lord Jesus warned all of those who, like Rebecca, say initially, I will go, he warned them that there is a cost involved in following him. What did he say? He said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Rebecca had put her hand to the plow when she said, I will go. She committed herself to Isaac based on the words of his servant and also based on the proof of the servant's message, which was provided to her by, you know, the obvious divine leading in the circumstances. And also the proof was given by the expensive gifts of jewels and clothing which the servant presented to her from his wealthy master. As difficult as it would be to leave her family and her home and her lifestyle and all of her friends and everything else that was familiar to her, yet Rebecca instantly, without hesitating, she agreed to go with the servant and give her life to being a helpmeet for Isaac. So when called forth by her brother Laban and also by her mother, this is where we left off last week, called forth to, um, 
to give a decision, really, ultimately, regarding the marriage to Isaac, she gave her beautiful, short answer, I will go. And I thought that this gave us another positive uh, character quality suitable for her to be a wife for Isaac because she was a woman of small words. Of You know, she wasn't verbose. She just said, I will go. And any man would love that for a wife, right? <laughs> a woman of few words. But anyway, aside from that, we could say that definitely she was, and this is a good quality, she was not a wishy-washy kind of a girl. She was not the kind of girl who just simply couldn't make up her mind. She didn't get sidetracked once she knew the leading of the Lord's, the Lord in her life. She knew her own heart and mind, and that's good. And so she spoke with firm determination. Now, as we come today to our third and our final lesson on Genesis chapter 24, which is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, and it's also the most compact, it has the most compact arrangement of prophetic types in all of the Bible. So um, as we come to the last verses, I want to remind you where we've been. In verses 1 to 33, in our lesson two weeks ago, the quest for Isaac's bride, we had discussed Abraham's commission to his servant to go and seek a bride for Isaac. And we learned how Eliezer had been specifically led to Rebekah as the bride that God had preselected. Then in our discussion on last week, um, the call of Isaac's bride, and I've lost the outline, my transparency. Did anybody see it? <laughs> I've totally lost it. I don't know what happened to it. But that lesson last week was called The Call of Isaac's Bride. We looked at verses 34 to 58. We saw that Rebecca and her family learned about uh, Eliezer's mission, what it was all about, and they consented to let Rebecca marry Isaac. However, they then resisted after they discovered how quickly Eliezer wanted to depart, right? Remember that? He wanted to leave that very next morning. Well, now in this current lesson, the third lesson on chapter 24, we're going to look at verses 59 to 67. We've talked about the quest for Isaac's bride, the call of Isaac's bride. Today we come to the coming of Isaac's bride. And we're going to talk about the departure of Rebekah from her family, and we'll talk about her journey into Canaan with Eliezer, her first glimpse of her bridegroom, Isaac, and then finally um, the consummation of their marriage. So we've got four subdivisions. We'll talk about the leaving, the learning, the looking, and the loving. Okay? Let's begin with the leaving. And for this, we're going to look at verses 59 to 61. Genesis chapter 24 in verse 58, they had called Rebekah and asked her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she gave that answer, I will go. Now, verse 59 says, And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, This is her family blessing her, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Although Rebekah's three little words, at least there are three words in the English, I don't think there are three in the Hebrew, but the three little words in English, I will go. Although those were remarkable words, they would not have been so great if she had not carried through with them. That's what we had just really been talking about in our introduction. 
There's a parable given by the Lord Jesus in Matthew 21, verses 28 to 31, which is commonly called the parable of the two sons. A man, a father, had two sons. Well, he went to the first son, and he asked the son if he would go and work in his vineyard. And the son answered, what? I will not. I will not. I will not go and work in your vineyard. However, after a little while, he did go, and he worked in his father's vineyard. Well, the father also went to his second son, and likewise he asked the second son to go and work in his vineyard, to which the second son readily answered, I will go. He actually said, I go, sir. I mean, he was even polite about it. That's my translation. Okay, pops. <laughs> but he never went. And the Lord then taught those who were listening to him that it was the first son who actually did his father's will. This son. The son who initially said he wouldn't go, but he repented and he did go. The second son had agreed to go, but he never did. Rebecca, you see, would have been like this second son. Get him back up here. She would have been like the second son of the parable if she had merely said that she would go, but then never did. However, she put action to her words. She put feet to her faith. She walked her what? She walked her talk because it says that she arose and she followed the man. And that is exactly what is needed so desperately today, just as it was in Rebecca's day and just as it was in the day in which the Lord spoke the parable of the two sons. We have many people, many, many people who will make a decision. You know, up here, I will, they make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus, to go where he will lead them and to do what he commands. But far fewer, far fewer actually carry through with that initial decision. You know, Christ beckoned people to follow him some 18 or 19 times in the gospel accounts. He had great crowds that were always following him, at least initially, but only one stood by him at the foot of the cross. Who was that? John. He, the Lord Jesus heard every kind of excuse that's imaginable. You know, some wanted to follow him, but they didn't like the idea of not having a reliable place to play, uh, put their heads at night. You know, foxes have holes, etc., but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. They didn't like that. You know, they wanted comfort. That could have been one of Rebecca's excuses. You know, I want a permanent home. I don't want to travel around in a tent and never know where I'm going to, you know, lay my head at night. Uh, some wanted to follow the Lord, but they said they had to bury their fathers first. You know, fathers who weren't even dead yet. And that was because they wanted to get there, make sure they got their father's inheritance. Some wanted to follow, but they wanted to delay while they first put things in order and had time to say goodbye to everybody. That, too, could have been uh, Rebecca's excuse, right? That's what her mother and her brother tried to get her to do, delay and say goodbye to everybody. Some wanted to follow the Lord, but they didn't like it at all when he spoke about dying, when he spoke about his own death. 
We see that in John 6, 66. Some wanted to follow, but they didn't want to be rejected by the, their esteemed religious leaders. That's in John 7, 13. Some wanted to follow, but only if they could constantly see miracles. John 6, 2. Some wanted to follow the Lord when they thought that he would be a king and he would defeat the Romans, John 6, verses 14 to 15. But not, they did not want to follow him when they learned that he had absolutely no intention of starting an insurrection, and one of those was Judas. You see, there are few who are willing to follow the Lord, understanding in full the cost of denying themselves and even taking up their own crosses in order to do so. Rebecca, however, we find, put action to her decision. She was willing, like Abraham, years earlier, when he received his call from the Lord, she was willing to leave her father's house and everyone and everything that was familiar to her to go with Eliezer in order to marry his master's son. It's a good thing that we find now that Rebecca's family did not attempt to argue with her here. <clears throat> no more argument about this matter. They saw her resoluteness to go, and they did not try to detain her or dissuade her from her decision, and that's good. So we have something good to say about them. They had left the final decision with her, and they honored that decision. So they sent her away with who, it says in verse 59? Her nurse. And also, who else do we find out about in verse 61? Some damsels. Now, we, we find out, <clears throat> damsels are some maids. We find out later on in the book of Genesis, in chapter 35, verse 8, that this nurse's name was Deborah. So we actually know who she is. Her name was Deborah. What? Genesis 35, verse 8. And she probably had been... Rebecca's nanny, you could use that word, her nanny, her nurse, ever since Rebecca was born, you know, all of her life. So this would give her a lot of comfort that this nanny, this nurse, would go along with her. We do find out later on that Deborah, this nurse, actually outlived Rebecca. And uh, she was considered sort of a grandmother figure to Jacob. This, you know, Rebecca has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Well, Jacob very much cared for this Rebecca. We'll find that out later. Rebecca's family obviously had some wealth of its own, too, because we see that they sent her away with not only her nurse, Deborah, but with some young maids or, or servants, damsels. And that tells us something else about Rebecca. When I found this out, I thought, oh, well, you know, if she had maid servants of her own, it speaks even more highly of her own industriousness, industriousness that she herself had gone out the, to the well in order to fetch that water for the household. When she could have sent who? She could have easily sent her maids. In fact, she could have run back to the home and told her maids to go back to the well and take care of watering the camels, right? Yet she, you know, she was not too high and mighty in her own self-esteem to do the work herself. You know, she may have had some prestige as the daughter of a wealthy family, but she was not above working herself. And so that's another good characteristic that we find out now that we know she had some maids. 
As her family sent her off, they blessed her. And it, it was a good thing here, another good thing, that she departed from her family with their blessing and not with their resentment. And there surely must have been, we know, a good many tears. But this early departure was far more healthy than it would have been, you know, if, if there had been a delay involved. Her family prayed, we find, that since she was going to be a wife, that she would have a vast number of descendants. Actually, they wanted her to have thousands of millions <laughs> of descendants. And really, that's been, you know, fulfilled. And they also prayed that those descendants would have victory over their enemies. This was kind of a common blessing that they would give in those days. But most likely also Eliezer had told Rebekah's family about the promise of God to Abraham, that, he would, that God would multiply Abraham's seed as the stars of the heaven and as the, the grains of sand on the earth's seashores. And God had also promised Abraham that his seed, his descendants, would possess the gates of their enemies. So maybe they had this blessing, you know, in response to what they had learned from Eliezer. So their, their prayer and their blessing, we could say, was in agreement with God's promises. So they were, in essence, saying to Rebekah, Be thou the mother of the promised seed, you know, the seed that had been promised to Abraham through his son Isaac. So it was a good way for Rebekah to have departed from her family. Her nanny and her maids were with her, you know, so that she wasn't all alone going back that long way with just a bunch of men. It was good that she had women with her. They were companions who would help care for her, and also they would help make the transition easier for her. So her family sent her off with their prayers, with their blessings, uh, with some of their women, and also, we can be sure, with their love and with their tears as well. A delay of 10 days, or even more than that, might have resulted in quite a different scene. So, you know, Eliezer was wise in saying, let's depart right away. There could have been a different scene altogether. There might not even have been any departure at all. That's what might have resulted, that she never would have leave, left. So uh, this is an illustration here of the leaving. Saw this picture last week. See it again. The leaving part of marriage. Every spouse needs to leave their initial family. Now that's not a permanent kind of thing, but you know they're gonna they're gonna leave their parents in order to do what? To cleave to one another and start a new family. The church which is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, must, we could say, leave the world. We, the church, just like Rebecca left Mesopotamia and her family, the church must leave the world behind when she becomes espoused to the Lord. Her citizenship, the church's citizenship, is no longer in the world, in Mesopotamia, because she is headed toward the promised land, and she's headed toward her bridegroom and her new home. So we have a perfect picture here, again, of Christ in the church. Okay, that was the leaving. Now let's talk about the learning. The trip from Haran up in uh, upper Mesopotamia, which is Syria today, down to Isaac, who we're going to find out in verse 62, was living at this time in Lahai Roy, that, and that was southwest of Hebron. 
Kay will talk about that later. But anyway, the trip was approximately 500 miles, and on camels, it was about a three weeks journey. The trip itself, as was true with Eliezer's trip to Haran from Hebron, is passed over in the Word of God without a single comment. Remember when Eliezer left Hebron and got to um, Haran? No word. Just one verse to the next. Nothing said about the journey. Well, we have the same thing here. Nothing is said really about the journey, that three weeks journey. All we are told is that those who were involved, which would have been Eliezer and his men, and Rebecca and her nurse, Deborah, and the maids, that they all rode on what? Not horses, not donkeys, but camels. Have you if you've ever ridden have you ever ridden a camel? Anybody? I've, I've ridden a camel, a few, yeah, a few of us. It's not the most comfortable animal to ride. And they certainly do get down funny and up funny. Oh, my. Anyway, they all rode on camels, and it says they followed the man. What man would that have been? Eliezer. They followed Re Eliezer. It says he took Rebecca and went his way. You see, Rebecca did not know the way to Isaac. But who did know the way to Isaac? Eliezer, the servant, knew the way. And so he was her special guide along the journey, and she was wise to follow him. Of course, he, she didn't know the way. He did, so she was wise to follow him. When we, as Rebecca, believe the testimony of the Holy Spirit about the master's son, Isaac, uh, Jesus, excuse me, and we accept the marriage proposal which is offered by the Son through the Spirit, we are not only given the treasures of His grace and the gifts of His Spirit and the new raiment of His righteousness, but then we set out on a new journey with the Holy Spirit Himself as our personal guide. And what is the map that He uses to direct us? right the word of god is the map like rebecca we may not at times know which direction to go you know we might not know what lies ahead whether there's valleys or mountains or deserts or streams but we must trust our guide to lead us we must yield to his wisdom we must not grieve him by trying to go our way you know saying oh i don't think you're right holy spirit That'd be about as, as stupid as, as Rebecca saying, well, Eliezer, I don't think we should go to the right. I think we should go to the left. Well, she'd never been that way. He had. So we don't grieve him by trying to go our own way. She was wise in that she simply followed Eliezer. We're wise if we simply follow the leading of God the Holy Spirit. She didn't question his wisdom or his decisions because she understood that he knew the way, and she didn't. After all, he had come from his master therefore he knew the way back to his master and we can feel sure too that during that long journey to Isaac the servant and Rebecca did a lot of talking he probably rode his camel you know next to her side by side so that he could further familiarize her with his master's son and answer the many questions that she most likely had about the master's son her bridegroom. And this, too, is what the Holy Spirit does. He is referred to in the scripture as the paraclete, which means the one who comes, what? Alongside of, to guide us 
and to teach us. All the way back, Eliezer would have spoken not of himself. I mean, that would be foolish to try to, to win her to himself, right? We talked about that last week. Um, but of the one they were going to meet, the one to whom Rebecca had pledged herself. Just like the Holy Spirit doesn't talk about himself, he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and lifts him up and glorifies him. So even though nothing is recorded about their journey back to the promised land, back to Canaan, we can feel very confident that all along the way it was a time of learning for Rebecca. She must have had hundreds of questions to ask Eliezer. She would want to know all the details surrounding Isaac's, for example, his miraculous birth. You know, Eliezer had spoken of it in just general, but she'd want to know all the specifics about his miraculous birth. She would want to know what he was like as a child. What was he like as a young, uh, a young child? What was he like as a teenager? What was he like as a young man? What were his likes and dislikes? What did he like to eat? <laughs> what did he not like to eat? What was his favorite color? What was his father like? How did he take the death of his mother? How did that affect him? What did he look like? Was he a quiet man or was he an outgoing kind of personality? Was he athletic? Uh, was, what was his personality like? Was he, was he kind? Was he gentle? Was he considerate? Was he anxious to be married or was he not really looking forward to being married? What did Eliezer think that Isaac would think of her? Did, did he think that, that he would like her? Or, you know, maybe do you, would he even think that possibly Isaac would love her? So, and you would have questions too, wouldn't you, if you were in her shoes, sandals? So Eliezer would have probably told Rebecca how God had promised Abraham that he would make of him a great nation and that, in fact, he would bless all the families, all the nations of the world, the earth, through him, through Isaac. He would have explained to her how that was really a very special promise concerning the coming Savior, you know, the Redeemer, going all the way back to the promise given to Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, but then, you know, after that promise that he'd have many, many descendants and great nations would come from him, Sarah's wife, who had been barren all along in their marriage, she, still, she didn't have any children. She didn't produce. So at one time, after waiting years for Sarah's womb to be opened so that God's promises could be fulfilled, Abraham actually thought that Eliezer himself, you know, his eldest servant, might be the one through whom the promises would be fulfilled. So Eliezer would tell Rebekah all about that. But God then assured Abraham that his heir would be one who would come through his own body, you know, through his own seed. So Abraham and Sarah did what? They waited again for many years, and still they had no child. And then Eliezer would have told Rebekah about the sad situation which developed when Sarah got it in her head that they needed to help God out a little bit. And so she talked Abraham into having a child by way of her Egyptian handmaid, Hagar, which he did. And then the troubles really began. And Rebecca would have learned of the, all the consequences involved in that poor decision. And then he would have told her, of course, all about Hagar and all about Ishmael. 
And then finally, he would speak of the amazing visit that they had one day by the Lord himself and two holy angels, and how Abraham and Sarah learned that in a year's time from that visit, she, at the age of 90 years old, was to give birth to a son. And his name was to be, what? Isaac, which means laughter. And then Eliezer would have explained to Rebekah why it was that the Lord named the child laughter, Isaac. Would have told her about Abraham's laughter when he first heard laughter of belief and also Sarah's laughter when she first heard the news, which was a laughter of disbelief. So Rebecca would have learned how God himself had predicted Isaac's birth before he was born and had even selected his name before he was born. And Eliezer would have told her about the rejuvenating miracle which took place not only in uh, Sarah's body but also in Abraham's body and how they then conceived a child as had been prophesied and how Isaac was born to the great joy and the amazement of all. Well, almost all. He would then have told about the jealousy which began to appear in Ishmael, the older half-brother, and how at Isaac's weaning party, remember that? Not the birthday party, but the weaning party, Sarah caught Ishmael mocking and persecuting young Isaac. And it hadn't been the first time either. And she realized that there was a, a grave danger for the promised son of Abraham if Ishmael stayed around. And God told Abraham this time that he was to listen to his wife. And even though it grieved his heart immensely, Abraham did put out Hagar and her son of the flesh, Ishmael. We, um, she, he would have told Rebecca, all about this and how it, it truly grieved Abraham because he did indeed love his son, but he sent the lad and his mother away. So Rebecca would have learned how her bridegroom had suffered the mockery and the persecution of his own brother. Well, as Eliezer would have continued to teach Rebecca, he would have told her eventually about the account of Mount Moriah. And he would have told Rebekah how Abraham had been commanded by God to take Isaac to Mount Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice. His master, you see, knew that God had uh, promised him all these things, these descendants, and, you know, that he would carry on the Messianic line. So Abraham knew that God would still have to fulfill his promises. And therefore, and those promises, since they would have to be fulfilled through Isaac, he actually believed that even if he went ahead and killed his son, that God would raise him from the dead, would raise him back to life. Now, Rebecca might have interrupted at this point and asked about Isaac. You know, well, what was his response when his father told him what God was asking of him? I mean, he was the one who was going to be laid on the, on the altar, what did he think of this? And Eliezer would then inform her of the wonderful, submissive, obedient attitude of his master's son. He would tell her how he willingly allowed himself to be placed upon the wood of the altar in obedience to his father. And he would tell her how he could have easily, easily resisted because his father was an old man and he was in his early 30s 
And he would tell her of the sadness of Abraham, who for the three days of their journey to Mount Moriah had Isaac already dead in his mind. And then, of course, he would be very excited to tell Rebekah how the angel of the Lord stopped the hand of Abraham from killing his son just in the nick of time, and how the Lord then provided a ram caught in the thickets nearby to be a substitute sacrifice for Isaac. So Isaac had come back to life on the third day. And then Eliezer would share with Rebekah the sadness which must have come upon, or did come upon the family when Sarah died at the age of 127. And he would tell how Isaac still so very, very much missed his mother, even though it had been three years. Well, all this information about her bridegroom would gradually, you see, increase Rebecca's knowledge of him. At first, you know, even when she said, I will go, at first, Isaac was just a name to her. You know, she knew very little, really, about him. But along the journey with Eliezer as her guide, as her tutor, and a tutor who took great delight in talking about his master's son, her heart began to warm more and more toward the one she was to wed. He was all that she ever could have hoped for, and even more. No, he was no longer just a name. He began to be far more in her mind and in her heart. She found herself longing for the day when she would meet him. She began to long to see him face to face. She found herself loving him even more, even though she had never seen him. She loved him more, you know, for more than just his position and more than just his wealth and the gifts that he had given her through his servant. Now she loved him for who he was, for his person, and all that she had learned about him. Her every thought began to be focused on him day and night. Instead of looking back on all that she had forfeited in her old life in Mesopotamia, she began to anxiously press forward and look forward to that which lay before her in a lifetime spent with Isaac. The journey was long, but it went quickly because it was filled every day with more and more news from Eliezer about his master's son. Eliezer was a good guide. He was a good guard, too, because he saw to it that Rebekah was safe from any enemies who might try to harm her along the journey. He protected her day and night so that nothing would prevail against her. Not even the gates of hell could prevail against her. With Eliezer as her guard, he had a task to complete, and he would see to it at all costs. He would guard Isaac's bride until he delivered her without so much as a spot or a blemish into the safety of her bridegroom's arms. You know, the believer's security is a sure thing because the believer is sealed by who? The Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. Who is the Holy Spirit? Far more than just Eliezer. Eliezer was just a man. The Holy Spirit is God. It was absolutely a sure thing that Rebekah would be brought safely back to Isaac. Why? Well, first of all, because God the Father had orchestrated this marriage, you know, from eternity past. 
and he always accomplishes his plan. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will what? Will perform it. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Abraham had, had chosen his finest and his most faithful servant to carry through with the task of bringing Isaac's bride to him. This servant was the best, the very best. He would not rest until his job was done. He guided, he guarded, and he groomed Rebekah every step of the way. No one but no one would be able to snatch Rebekah away from him while he was, wasn't looking because he was always looking. So for a believer to think that he can lose his or her salvation is comparable to believing that God would have allowed Rebekah to never have made it to Isaac. I mean, not only had God orchestrated the marriage, but he sent his best servant. And remember, there was an angel guiding them the whole way, too. Well, after about three weeks of traveling, the caravan returned with Rebekah um, to a place called Lahai Roy. And that is, at this point in time, where Isaac was living. It was south of Hebron, as I told you earlier. And Hebron, remember, was where who was now living? His father. Abraham was living in Hebron. That's where Eliezer left from, was Hebron. That's where Sarah had died, so we know Abraham was there. But we find that apparently Isaac had left Hebron and gone down to Lahai Roy, which was in the southern part of Canaan, apparently had gone down there to begin to prepare a dwelling place for his bride. And he decided that he would await her arrival there. Now, perhaps he had gotten word to Eliezer about this while Eliezer was away. You know, maybe Isaac had sent a runner or a servant to tell Eliezer that he had moved down to Lehairoi to start building a dwelling place for him and his bride-to-be. Or perhaps Eliezer knew about it before he even left from Hebron. Or perhaps Eliezer had stopped first in Hebron, because that would be on the way down south. Perhaps he stopped first in Hebron and found out from Abraham that Isaac had gone further south to Lehairoi. But whatever the case might have been, the caravan traveled past Hebron down to Lehairoi, where for the first time the bride and the bridegroom were going to look one upon another. So let's look now at the looking. We've talked about the leaving and the learning. Let's go to the looking. Verse 62 to 66. And Isaac came from the way of the well, Lehairoi, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she had said unto the servant, What man is, that, is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. Throughout Isaac's life, we will find, you know, we're in a transition. We're leaving Abraham behind, and we're going to be going now into Isaac. Uh, we will find that he is associated not with altars so much as with what? Wells, right, wells. He's associated, repeatedly associated with wells. And here is the first such well 
that he is associated with. And it's one that we had learned about earlier in connection with Hagar, when Hagar was pregnant with Ishmael and she had run away from the harsh treatment that she had received from the hand of Sarah. It was a well in the Negev, it's called the N-E-G-E-V, the southern part of Canaan. And it was there that God saw Hagar in her distress and he met her spiritual and her emotional needs. The, the well, we learned, was named um, Be'er Lahairoi, but the first part, B-E-E-R, just means the well. All right, so it was the well of Lahairoi, and Lahairoi actually means the living one who sees. You know, the living God who sees. El Roy was a new name for God that we had learned back at that time, which means the God who sees. It's interesting here that now they're seeing. You know, one lifts up her, his eyes and looks at her, and the other lifts up her eyes and looks at him. So is, this is all about seeing. This is the well of the living one who sees. Now, at the time of this event in Genesis 24, as I said, Isaac was not living with his father in Hebron. He had moved south, and he was getting you know, started on building a place of his own, his own home for his future wife. It may be that at the time of verse 62, Isaac was returning to Abraham from the place of his future home. Because we do read in verse 62 that it says, and Isaac came from the way of the well, Lahai Roy. So it might be that at this point he was on his way back up to Hebron, up to his father. The name of the well itself would probably have brought comfort to Isaac in his situation as he awaited the arrival of Eliezer and his new bride. You see, he could take assurance in the fact that the same living God who saw Hagar in her time of need saw him. You know, El Roy, the God who sees, saw the void which had come into Isaac's life at the death of his mother, you know, at the loss of his mother, Sarah. And he knew, Elroy knew, what kind of a wife Isaac needed to fill that void. More important, importantly, Elroy also knew what kind of a young maiden was need to, needed to carry on the all-important messianic line. This is the end of side one. Please turn the cassette over for the continuation of this message. Although Isaac had been the person on everybody's thoughts and on everybody's lips throughout this whole chapter, remember we talked about the fact that the biblical uh, record has not mentioned his appearance since when? When was the last time that we actually saw Isaac? Everybody's been talking about him, but we've, we've not actually seen him since when? Right, since the time of his sacrifice up there on Mount Moriah. And I pointed out before that uh, he was not even included back in chapter 22, verse 19, where it talked about Abraham coming down from the mountain. Although we know that Isaac accompanied Abraham and did come down from the mountain, yet there's no mention of Isaac. So, the, the, we talked about the fact that the very careful and precise words of the scripture give us a picture in type 
again of the Lord Jesus Christ, who after his sacrifice and his ascension up into heaven, you know, we could call that the mountaintop, he will not be seen again until it is time for him to come down and receive his bride, the church. And this is pictured by Isaac, who is now seen for the very first time since he was up there on the mountaintop, Mount Moriah. And now we see him again for the first time. And what is he doing? He's awaiting the arrival of his bride, Rebecca. Verse 63 tells us that Isaac had gone out into a field to do what? To meditate. And that tells us really something about the character of Abraham's son. Because the word meditate implies that he was a deeply spiritual man, you know, who was, was quiet and prayerful. And he spent time pondering the things of the Lord. Since we have already learned um, quite a few times, and we'll see it again in a minute, that Rebecca was more of an active type of person, right? You know, all that she's done, watering the camels and running back and forth and up and down and everything. She's more of an action type of person, one who saw a job that needed to be done and did what? She did it herself. She didn't send her maids. Um, so we see here, and also she was able to make up her mind promptly and definitively when she said, I will go. So she and Isaac, we see, you know, he's kind of a meditative, quiet sort of a fellow. We find that they're going to complement one another. They say that opposites always attract, right? Not always true, but a lot of times opposites attract. So they're going to complement one another. There's going to be a good uh, balance in their marriage. Now, one of the primary thoughts and prayers, which was very likely on Isaac's mind, surely had to do with, who do you think? His bride, his bride-to-be. So alone in a field at eventide, tide, have I got the right one? I guess I do. Eventide, notice it's just, you know, as the sun's beginning to go down, he's out there in this field with his head bent down, and he's in quiet meditation with his heavenly Father and with his own thoughts. When he must have heard the sound of camel hooves beating on the ground. And perhaps even he heard the f a faint sound of voices. And so what did he do? It says he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. A caravan was approaching. And Isaac must have instantly realized that it was his father's caravan. He would have been able to count how many camels in that caravan? Ten camels. And he knew that that was the number of camels that had been entrusted to his uh, father's servant to fulfill the task of getting a wife for him. So as they approached, then he would have been able to eventually, as they got closer and closer, he would have been able to have recognized Eliezer and the other men who had accompanied him. But good news, there was also a company of women traveling with them. And he would have then known that Eliezer had been successful and that he was about to meet his bride. The long wait was over. And for Isaac, it had been a long wait. Because how old was he? Forty. He was 40 years old. His long wait was over because... He was about to meet his bride, so he went forward 
to meet her. And at about the very same time, we are told that Rebecca, in verse 64, also lifted up her eyes. So perhaps, too, this tells us that she may have been meditating and praying, you know, because her eyes were down. Um, And what do you think she would have been praying and meditating about? Right. Her bridegroom, the one she was about to meet. We're told that when she lifted her eyes and saw Isaac, I love this. It says, she lighted off the camel. And in Hebrew, that word for lighted actually means that she fell off or slid off. And again, this really tells us something about the character of Rebecca because it tells us that she was a girl of action. Definitely a girl of action. She was decisive. She didn't wait for somebody to come over and help her get down. She jumped right off of that camel herself. And as I told you, it is not an easy thing to get off of a camel. So she was, she was quite some girl. <laughs> but she, when she met her, her future husband, she was not going to be above him. She was not going to be sitting up on a camel while he was down below on foot. She was going to you know, show her submissiveness by being on the same level with him. She had been hearing about Isaac, you know, all the way from her father's home. And there he was. And she could, you know, as she learned more and more about him, she could just sense that that was him. She'd come to know him so well that she knew that was him. Although she did confirm that that was him. But she already knew it. But she did confirm by asking Eliezer, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us. And his answer did not surprise her at all because uh, she already knew when he said, it is my master. Now we see the transition going from Abraham to who? Isaac. The master had all along been Abraham. Now suddenly we see that Isaac is going to be the new master. And what did Rebecca do? It says she covered herself with a veil. Now the veil was a token of humility and modesty, you know, chasteness, and submission. It was not a veil that, and so this picture is wrong because she's going to be putting a veil on, but um, it was a, a veil that would not just cover the face, but it would also cover the entire body. And it was a proper way back in that culture for a bride to meet her future um, husband. Now, what a wonderful, can't you imagine, wouldn't you have liked to have had that on video camera? What a wonderful, wonderful meeting that must have been. And what a wonderful, even more wonderful meeting there will be one day as the evening shadows of this, of this present age come to a close and all those dead and living, all those in Christ, Those who make up the bride of Christ, the church, shall rise to meet the bridegroom in the air, the one we have never seen, but whom we have learned in this journey of life, we have learned so much to love. The journey that Rebecca had been asked to make with Eliezer, you know, that journey of three weeks on a camel, had probably seemed long. And it had probably seemed strenuous and tiresome. But the joy, you know, when, when the journey was over and she finally met her bridegroom face to face, 
met, made that journey, that long, wearisome journey, well worth the effort. Would you not agree? So, And she found out when that journey was over that her, her Isaac, her bridegroom, was even more than she could have possibly anticipated. He was more beautiful. He was more kind. He was more generous. He was more loving. He was more gentle, more everything you can think of than she ever could have imagined. And so shall it be with the bride of Christ when she at long last finishes her long and difficult journey and arrives to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. I'm talking about not just individual believers, but the church. You know, the church has gone through a long journey, the historical journey of the church. When she at long last arrives to meet her bridegroom, she will cry out just as the Queen of Sheba cried out when she finally met King Solomon. The half has not been told. Well, we are told that Eliezer, Abraham's faithful, dedicated, godly servant, then gave a report to Isaac of all the things that he had done. That's in verse 66. You remember now, Rebecca had learned all about Isaac on the, on the trip, and now the servant informed Isaac all about Rebecca. All the virtues and all the qualities of Rebecca were told to Isaac. He learned of all her hard labor, not only in giving Eliezer a cool drink of water, but also how she, you know, volunteered to also water all the thirsty camels. And he learned how this had been in direct answer to Eliezer's prayer. He also learned of his own relationship to Rebekah, that she was actually his second cousin. And Isaac learned of her prompt decision to be his bride, you know, when the choice really came right down to her. And he learned of her willingness to even leave behind her father and her mother and her home and all that was familiar to her in order to be wed to him. And he learned also of her anxious desire to know all about him on the long journey to him and how she never tired of the servant teaching her more and more and more about him. All these things were very likely reported by Eliezer to his master Isaac. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes for his beloved church, his bride, there is also going to be an accounting at the judgment seat of Christ or the bema seat of Christ. Each of us will have our works examined and they will be tried, you know, as by fire. And also that will be the time when rewards will be distributed. Then, after the accounting, then the great wedding will take place and the Lord Jesus Christ himself will escort us into our eternal tent of many mansions and the eternal honeymoon will commence. So let's look now at the loving And for this, we look at the last verse, verse 67. It says, And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. 
So Isaac brought Rebekah into whose tent? Sarah's tent. Now, this may possibly mean that they, after they met, that they together then traveled back up to Hebron, where Abraham was living. That's one choice. You know, since Sarah's tent is involved, you wouldn't think that it would leave where Abraham was. So possibly they together all traveled back up to Hebron. Or another possibility is that Isaac had brought his mother's tent with him when he went down to Lehi Roy, thinking that he would put his bride in that tent until he built their own home. But the tent had been vacant for three years. It has been vacant since the time of his mother's death. So it was a joy, you can imagine, for Isaac to now have it occupied oops, for his bride-to-be. I'm behind here. Wait a minute. Here we go. So Rebecca would stay in Sarah's tent until the time of the marriage ceremony, you know, until it was arranged and then completed, and then she would go with Isaac into his tent, you know, their tent together down in Lahairoi. As the church has come to dwell in the tent, quote-unquote, presently vacated by Israel, so Rebekah lived in Sarah's tent. Remember how we said that Sarah is a picture of Israel. We who make up the bride of Christ, just as Rebekah, we are not in the direct line of promise as, a, as Israel and Sarah were. But we were brought in by way of marriage to the father's son. You see? So Rebecca did not replace Sarah because Sarah was the wife of Abraham. You get it? She didn't replace Sarah. She didn't become the, the new wife of Abraham. Israel is not replaced by the church because the church is not espoused to the father, Right? We're not the bride of God the Father. We're the bride of God the Son. The church is simply taking over right now the responsibilities of Israel because Israel has died. You know, spiritually speaking, she has died. But like Sarah, she will be resurrected back to life. You know, all Israel will be saved. She will come back to life one day. In the meantime, however, Isaac, or Christ is greatly comforted by who? Rebecca or the church. You see, Christ's own mother died, and he, he was distraught about that. She died because she didn't accept him, okay, Israel. But he was comforted greatly by who? Rebecca, the church. Although he had lost his own mother for a while, he gained his wife, and she is a great comfort to him. And what did he do? He loved her. The love that Rebecca received from Isaac must have also been a great comfort to her, as she was a comfort to him. I mean, she needed comforting too, right? She'd left every, everything behind. So not only did he accept her, but he loved her. You know, on her journey, she may have wondered if Isaac would reject her. 
when he finally saw her? What if he didn't like the way she looked? Or what if, uh, um, there, what if he didn't like the report that he had received about her from the servant? What if he told Eliezer to return her that, he, that she wouldn't do and to go find another bride? What if he was dissatisfied with her? But, of course, you know, that was not to be at all. Isaac was anxious, just as anxious to meet her as she was to meet him. And there was not a single thought in his mind or heart about rejecting her. Why? Because she had been chosen for him by God, and he knew it. There was no way he would have rejected her. And in this, we again have a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who said... Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Everyone who comes to Christ by the bidding of the Holy Spirit will be accepted. There are no rejections. Furthermore, he or she will be loved by him. You know, Rebecca could have been accepted by Isaac. She could have shared in all of his riches. And in his position, and she could have reigned with him over his father's large estate, and still she could have missed out on the greatest blessing of all if she had not known his love. But that was not the case. That was not to be, because Isaac did love her. Christ loves his church. He loves each one of us who make up his church. And he loves us how? Unconditionally. But Rebecca, you see, would never have known the wonderful love of Isaac if she had not accepted the servant's invitation to be his wife, to be Isaac's wife. So it's, it's a beautiful story. It's also beautiful to, to take note in conclusion. Just listen to this. Don't start wrapping up your Bible. But it's interesting that um, in this account, which ends by telling us that Isaac loved Rebekah, that this is the, the, only the second time in all the Bible, well, the book of Genesis, the second time that we find the word love in the Bible. Does anybody remember where that first mention of the word love was? Anybody? I hear you whispering, but I can't hear anybody saying it out loud. It was back in Genesis 22:2, and it spoke of the love of a father for his son, you know, his beloved son. It was speaking of Abraham's love for Isaac. And as we said at that time, that was very appropriate because the greatest love in the universe is manifested in, lo- in the love of God the Father for God the Son. And then we talked about the fact that as much as the father loved the son, however, he was willing to sacrifice him. Why? Well, because of his love for the world. And I'm speaking here of God the Father and God the Son. Because in sacrificing his son, you see, the father would be redeeming a people for his son, a people who would love his son and serve his son, a people he would wed to his son. And now we see the second time that the word love appears in the scripture, it has to do with the love of a son, the son for his 
bride. So the first love was the love of a father for the son. The second time the word love is mentioned in the Bible is the love of the son for his bride. And this is a picture of Christ's love for his church. And Christ's love for his church is an example of the love that we are to exemplify and have in our own marriages, right? So although the love story and the subsequent marriage of Isaac and Rebecca may appear, you know, on the surface, if somebody was just reading through this chapter, they'd say, oh, that's a wonderful love story, you know, between a normal couple getting married by the standards of their culture. What have we seen? We have seen that it is much more significant than just that surface story. It is a picture in many ways of the great marriage arranged in heaven by God the Father, who sent his faithful servant, the Holy Spirit, to call out a bride, the church, for his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The love story, you see, of Isaac and Rebekah can be your love story today if you will simply trust the master's son, who you've never seen before, and simply respond as Rebecca did when you are asked the question, will you go with this man? Respond by saying what? I will go. It's a beautiful story, so let's close in prayer.